All hands, this is the captain speaking. Starfleet has confirmed reports that Romulus was destroyed two weeks ago by an ultranova in the adjacent Toba system. The colonies and subjugated worlds that survived are in need of humanitarian aid. Arabella has been assigned to a convoy that will cross the neutral zone in order to provide assistance. We are uncertain of the reception we will receive, but it is likely, it is likely we will be met with resistance from the Romulan people. They won't want to accept charity from the Federation, but the captain says we should be prepared to accept evacuees and deal with confrontations with rogue members of the military. Security teams will need to be ready at a moment's notice. We will begin drills at 0800 to prepare. Sick bay may be inundated with ill and wounded. I don't want my department to be overwhelmed. Many of you were a part of the staff aboard the Tiberius. You were seasoned veterans. I know you are fully capable of handling this situation. Shields up. Red alert. Captain, our shields cannot take much more. Beyond the neutral zone, the Romulan people suffer in chaos. The Hobus Ultra Nova laid waste to their fractured empire. Stability has crumbled and infrastructure ravaged. Friend and foe amass in shadows, waiting to pick their bones. Yet the Federation takes nothing but their burdens. These are the voyages of Arabella, the flagship of the Seventh Fleet. Its mission, to defend the helpless, to render aid where needed, to befriend a former enemy, to boldly go where no Starfleet vessel has gone before. Hello and welcome to the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast, The Ready Room. I'm your host, Kenny, and as you can hear, Rick and Jen are, were not available, so you have me again. Um, this week, we have a great bunch of posts, so sit back and enjoy this week's readings of the Treks and Sci-Fi RPG. Gul'dar stepped back from the Khan, letting his Beta Shift counterpart slide smoothly into the newly vacated seat. The normal handover and course review routine had taken a little longer than normal due to the debris and star system they were leaving, so Gul'dar found himself as the only Alpha Shift officer on the bridge. Without any of his departing colleagues to exchange pleasantries with, he found himself in no hurry to depart. Stepping up to the upper deck, he paused by the security booth, turning to look back at the panoramic vista of stars presented by the sector of Romulan space, spread before them on the view screen. This area wasn't that densely cluttered with stars, but even so, the screen presented a wealth of rainbow hues and shades to those who cared to have, take the time to look. The speed of walk travel normally obscured this beauty from view for all but the briefest periods of travels, so Gul'dar was determined to take advantage of this view, while it was still available. His passion remained for flying in all forms, but in the last few months he'd started to take a little time to acquire a better appreciation for what it was that he was flying through past all around. Blinking, he finally turned again and stepped towards the lift. Its doors hissed open at his approach. Officer's quarters, deck eight, he said quietly as the doors closed, falling silent again as the car hummed on its way. That went much better than I expected. Eric thought to his wife on their way to the meeting with the senators. It's going to be nice to have a few more Vulcan children aboard to interact with the kids. 
I wouldn't mind a Watrai or a Riemann presence as well. Our children should have an opportunity to experience all four aspects of the Vulcanoid societies. Eric had put some effort into studying all the Vulcanoid species and quickly came to understand that while they might seem different, there were many aspects that crossed the cultures. There were traits that seemed reflected in the talents and abilities of their children, aspects that were similar to those of the once united race of beings. Eric could not help but notice that the hive-like cooperation that the twins displayed was in many ways reminiscent of the martial discipline characterized in the Watrai. Arya, their eldest, often displayed attributes that were typified by the pre-Sirach Vulcans. She had the heart of a healer, but the mind of a technocrat. It made his own heart a little heavy to imagine what their eldest son would have been like had he lived, but the pain had dimmed over the years. Now, in the presence of all the Romulans around them, the Exo could not help but wonder what influence they might impart to his children. Marin and Naval scurried out the door of their parents' quarters. By their laughter, Arya had no doubt that their minds were bent on mischief. The oldest of Savril and Eric's offspring kept her emotions in check as she followed briskly behind them. Brex had invited she and her siblings to help bathe his dog, which was the reason for their unaccompanied journey through the passageway. The twelve-year-old boy and girl had become fast friends during the first days of the mission, making the new posting aboard Arabella all the more entertaining. The counselor's adopted son always had a new game to teach them, and on top of that, he had a big, slavery dog. Arya's brown hair was pulled back in a series of braids that her mother had made earlier that morning. They swung on her back as she bounded after the younger children. Slow down, she commanded in a voice that imitated her parents. Mother said we should not run in the corridors. Her warning had no effect on the five-year-olds, who disappeared around the bend ahead of her. She suppressed a sigh, though her gently arched brows dipped in frustration. Soon after, Arya smiled as she witnessed Rory appear before the twins, causing them to halt their marathon. You heard your sister. No running. The boy's faltered smile swiftly returned. We're going to watch the dog. His identical twin sister nodded enthusiastically. Brex said we could help. The holographic nanny smirked. Ah, oh, yes, Brex. That boy has a million ways of shirking his chores. He wants you to wash the dog so he won't have to. She shook her head. The children seemed no less deterred by the prospect of doing someone else's dirty work. Next, he'll have a new game planned for you called Clean My Room For Me, and you'll jump at the chance to do it for points that count for nothing or for a record-breaking time that he won't actually keep. Arya knew it was true, but Brex was one of the only children aboard, and they were so hungry for the company of peers that she chose to ignore his tricks. Come on, said Rory as she took the twins' hands in her own. I'll make sure he cleans his own room. If Arya was like her mother, Marin and Naval were very much like her father. Always looking for adventure and hardly ever weighing the consequences. Both children were, for all intensive purposes, well-mannered. They were just busier than most children their age. Physically, the twins were a blend of both of the parents... Their bright eyes were a color that seemed to shift depending on the environment they were in. Their ears were tipped in points like Arya's, but their brows lacked the upswept appearance. Marin's raven hair was long like her sister's, and it was often worn in Vulcan braids. 
Opting against the tradition of his mother's people, Naval's dark hair was instead cut to look just like his father's, and it was currently a mess due to his rush to help Brex. Rory stopped with the children just outside the counselor's quarters and rang the chime. When the door wasn't immediately answered, the children dashed through the entry, leaving Rory and Aria standing alone in the corridor. The tall Bajoran boy had his back turned to them when the twins came running in. Sumo, the black lab, leapt from his arms as Brex was attempting to usher him into the head. "'Hi, guys,' said Brex, still trying to gather the washing supplies that had fallen to the floor. "'I've got a couple of other things you can do while I'm uh, getting the stuff ready. I hope you don't mind getting wet.' Rory, who had stepped into the room, tilted her head to one side and glanced to Arya as if to say, "'I told you so.' She gave the Bajoran a warning gaze before she turned to go. Don't be late to dinner. The holographic nanny vanished, leaving the children to their fun. Ahem, <clears throat> came Arya's soft voice. Brex turned his eye from the space that Rory had once filled to see the captain's oldest daughter looking at him with a single arched brow that was meant to punctuate the question that followed. They are already bathing your dog. Must they do your other chores as well? The subtle smile on her face was at odds with the disapproving sound of her words. "'Well, a guy can try, can't he?' he grinned. She was very pretty, which made him a little shyer than usual. He tried not to let it affect him, but it did. She had been so nice to him over the past few weeks, and he appreciated it. But she was right. He was always taking her little brother and sister into doing chores Margon left for him to do. But it was so easy!' A tad been embarrassed by his less-than-pure motives, he stumbled on his words. Um, uh, you guys uh, get Sumo in the head. I have the tub ready for him. The sonic shower gives him dandruff, but I just can't seem to get him into the water. Naval produced a rubberized bone from his pocket and threw it across the room. Sumo went bolting for it and toppled over the couch. Breck shook his head, and Arya watched in amazement as the canine knocked over various pieces of furniture... This, she was sure, would make them very late for dinner. Finally, Naval retrieved the slimy dog chew and threw it towards the door of the head, and the huge black dog bounded after it. The twins dashed in the room behind Sumo, giggling as they ran. There was a splashing sound and more laughter, followed by silence. Ari was certain the silence was not a good thing and darted through the obstacle course of unbended furniture to put her head through the door. Her brother and sister had, of course, ended up in the tub with Sumo. The dog plunged his head beneath the water in an attempt to find the chew toy, blowing bubbles that made the children laugh again. The twins were soaked from head to toe, and soap suds topped their heads. Sumo abruptly pulled his head from the water, wearing a curious look. The bone was now in his mouth, and a string of drool laced with bubbles swung as he cocked his head sideways, as if to say, "'What? Am I in trouble?' Laughing with them, Brex tossed the twins a scrub brush and some shampoo. Okay, make this good. You're already wet, so scrub him till he's clean. The counselor's son grinned, and from the corner of his eye he could see that Arya was also smiling. He liked that. It made her eyes sparkle. Shelby Dalen waited at the turbo lift. As she stood there, she wondered what might be taking so long. Resigning that it would never arrive. The security officer took a deep breath. She was even on the verge of heading off to find another lift, or a Jeffrey's tube, 
when the doors parted, revealing the chief of security, Joe DeCallan. Not wanting to stare at him, Shelby gave him a smile, laced with patience. Then the woman entered the small compartment and crossed to the opposite side of the wall, greeting him appropriately. Commander, for although she had been looking for the man, she didn't want to give him the impression that that had been her goal. Ensign was his even reply. The door shut, and Shelby ordered the computer to the deck with her quarters on them. A silence fell between them for a time. Then the chief asked, Where'd you dart off to earlier? Just some business for security, she said, keeping her eyes forward. The hum of the lift became their background as both returned to their own thoughts. While Joe reached up and unsnapped his uniform collar, then he loosened it. Shelby noticed this out of the corner of her eyes, and she said nothing. The moment the door opened, Joe said briskly, Walk with me. And without waiting, DeCallan moved out into the corridor. Keeping up with the chief, the ensign portrayed the picture of composure. As they walked, a question came to her mind. What's going to happen to Nala Jarek? Joseph concentrated as he walked. The captain wants her held for a few more hours. Glancing over at the dark-haired ensign, he added evenly, Savril has made it very clear she does not want any problems. He smiled at her as he pressed his hand against the door panel and it swished open with a gentle noise. I know it's difficult for you, but these things make us harder. As Callan walked in, Shelby followed him, her eyes lighting with rebellion. Upon the door hissing shut, the young woman stopped short and stood at attention. Permission to speak freely, sir. Joe retrieved a refreshingly cool glass of water from the replicator and turned to face the woman who he could see he had riled up. Granted, I know it's difficult for you, she said while trying to contain her annoyance with another one of his remarks about her. What's that supposed to mean? I think you know what that means, he said with calm as he moved closer to her. Her eyes scanned his blue-green gaze and she narrowed her eyes as she glared at him. I don't think that's a complete assessment. You haven't exactly been the model chief of security. Let's see, there was that time on Revan 6. Gazing into the ensign's eyes, Joe found himself intrigued even more by this woman, and he admitted to himself that there was no mistaking it. She was definitely a live wire. Still, there was business to attend. That may be true. The difference here, though, is that I'm not being placed in charge of our Romulan guest needing to move his thoughts from the inappropriate in regards to the striking woman. Joe emptied his glass, then returned it to the replicator, and turned. You are. You already have a relationship of sorts with this Nala, so we don't need to bother with introductions. Joseph stopped outside of his bedroom door, and his tone changed slightly, becoming more commanding again. Now, head back down there. Keep yourself out of her way. Soon as the captain gives the orders for her release, escort her to her quarters and keep an eye on her. I'm trusting you here, Shelby. Don't let me down. He smiled at her as he let her depart. Then he entered his room. Shelby stood straight, pivoted, then left the room. 
Joseph, in turn, stepped back and leant against the doorframe to watch her leave. He thought about her and her relationship towards the Romulan, and he wondered. Maybe it would mirror his own feelings toward the Cardassian, who played on his mind. Nala sat at the lone table in the sparse room. She had been assigned by the Vulcan captain. Beside the table and two chairs, the room only had a bed and a small window, which looked out toward the ship's starboard nacelle. The only other item in the room was a simple computer terminal with access to only entertainment programs and files. There wasn't even a replicator, so she assumed food would be brought to her. It was still the prison, although better accommodating than the brig. A sudden flash of light was shown through the window. She jumped up and stared out the port to see the final demise of the cargo ship, which had been her previous prison. Her lot hadn't improved much over the past twelve hours, she mused. After getting the captain's orders to release the Romulan woman, Ensign Dalen had arranged for a sparse room and had her moved into them. Now, entering the quarters, without announcing herself, Shelby turned her head back slightly as the door hissed shut behind her. Placing her hands behind her back, the officer was prepared for anything. I hope the accommodations are satisfactory. There was a non-committal grunt from the woman, but little else. It seems that you and I are fated to spend some more time together. A distinctly unpleasant proposition, Nala replied. I'm sure you serve your Terran masters well. She walked back to the chair and sat down. Lifting a dark sculpted brow curiously, Shelby smirked. Your attempts to demean me because I have found a place where I belong are beneath you. Nala looked up at Shelby. Her eyes belied the truth she so desperately wanted to hide. What do you know of belonging half-breed? Were we on Romulus right now, even I would have a higher social rank than you. And you know nothing of me, she said, her eyes looking off back towards the portal. I know enough, was all that Dalen said softly. Still, in her tone, there was something else, that if Nala was listening, she could hear. Understanding. Considering all things as she stood there, Shelby weighed out if she should try to involve the Romulan in the search for the truth about her father just yet. She'd probably see it as an intrusion, and definitely none of her business, at least while the ensign had little proof she would. Nala scoffed at the comment. While you have lived in comfort with your human and Vulcan masters, we have struggled to survive. She shifted in her seat to face Shelby again. Tell me, she challenged. Once the Federation conquers the remnants of the Empire, have they promised to make you an in a reign? Command of your own captured warbird, she laughed. <laughs> a half-breed at the helm. Nala quieted, then punctuated once again. You know nothing of me. Then she turned her head away. Nala Jarok only child of Eldar Jerok and his mate Nale Jerok, born in the Romulus city of Retalhafa in the year 2366. 
Your family had rich, deep roots in the Romulan High Command through both of your parents. Your father was a well-respected leader until his maverick nature earned him a one-way ticket to less glorious postings. Less than a year after your birth, and for some unknown reason, your father defected to the Federation. The ensign paused to let Nala absorb what she was revealing she knew of her. Your family was shamed when word returned that your father had died of natural causes. This made his defection seem even more of a rejection to your race as well as your family. You were branded traitors to the Empire. Despite this, you were raised on Romulus by your mother. You were both forced into the slums. You fought your way through your childhood and your life, and almost as a counter-move to prove your worth. You studied hard and proved yourself to be a loyal Romulan, even managing to be taught at the heels of Commodore Pardek. Another pause brought the Romulan woman's expressive eyes to bear on Shelby. I know much of you. I know the pain of fighting one's way through life. I know of the shame, and don't think for a moment that you are any better than me. The stare of finality that the ensign gave Nala warned her not to go further with her barbs. I do not have Federation Masters, as you call them. They are my equals, and that is more than you can say about the Romulans who you now ally yourself with. Nala turned in the chair, her back now facing Shelby. Get out, she said. A gossamer slip of a knowing smile just touched the corners of the Empson's lips as she pivoted on her heel and moved outside to guard the door, leaving the Romulan to mull over her options. The guy to Ryan stood with his arms folded and looked across the room at the Romulan senators. Gentlemen, it appears my work with you is still not over. I dare say our generous hosts will fill your minds with hope. And why not? Humans are such fond creatures of the melodramatic. He smiled as he walked towards them, and several senators inched their way along the seat. Why, how kind of you. And look, you've made my seat nice and warm. He grinned and sat down, clasping his hands on the desk. Captain Savril is on Deck 2, Section 6. Deck 2. As the turbo lift doors opened, Joseph jogged out and strode down the corridor. His boots hit the soft carpet, dampening any sound. Seeing the captain and the first officer ahead, he picked up his pace. It had been a long day. The transition from Alpha to Beta shift had come and gone, but their work had yet to be completed. They were returning to their quarters so that the commander could change his attire before they met with the senators. Evening, ma'am. Sir? May I speak with both of you before you meet with the senators? Eric nodded to Joseph. Of course. Walk with us. As the three proceeded towards their destination, Joseph cleared his mind and thought carefully. It's the Cardassian. He'll be with the Romulan senators. Why is he not with the refugees? The first officer inquired. He had no problems with the man's species. There were Cardassians in Starfleet, and they were exemplary officers. Having fought with and against them in the past, Eric held a respect for their martial skills and commitment to cause. And what is he doing in Romulan space? Joseph nodded to Commander James. He's made it perfectly clear that he's a diplomat. Well, I have a feeling he'll be quite insistent upon a private audience with you both. He may want to continue the conversation he started with you aboard the Romulan craft, Commander. 
Eric adjusted the tunic of his fresh uniform and nodded. I'll be more than happy to speak with him. But unless he could show us verifiable diplomatic credentials, he's going to the temporary housing with the others. The first officer then turned his attention to the captain. My primary goal is to keep an understanding with the senators and the civilians. I advise that we start there, and if there's time left, we deal with this legate. Agreed. Thank you, Joseph, said the captain informally. Joseph smiled and nodded to the two. Eric exhaled and stepped through the doors of the observation lounge. His eyes slowly scanned the room and the people within. Once inside, the commander moved to the side of the doorway to allow Savril full view of those assembled, and so that he could better judge the reactions on their faces at the sight of a Vulcan captain. Upon seeing Eric, Leggett Rayon immediately recognized him from the evacuation. He stood from the table and approached them. Offering his hand to Eric, he smiled. Nice to see you again, Commander. I must say, you do know how to throw a get-together. And this one is quite good. He turned his eye to that of the Vulcans. Commander James gave a polite nod to the legate, but followed the protocol of letting the captain address the passengers first. The Vulcan nodded in greeting to the taller being and spoke to them all. I am Captain Savril. This is my first officer, Commander Eric James. A few Romulans rose while others remained in their chairs, studying her with much circumspect. Please be seated, sir, she said to the Cardassian before moving with confidence to the chair at the end of the table. Rayan smiled to the Vulcan and shook his head slightly as he walked around the table. Refusing to sit, he leaned against the wall and folded his arms. How quaint. Is your universal translator broken? No matter. With a gracious smile, the executive officer turned from the Cardassian to the chief of security. Mr. DeCollin, could you please escort Laguette Rayon to the temporary dorms in Shuttle Bay 2? After we finish our talks with the senators, we'll see if we can find the time to speak with our Cardassian contingent of guests. Joseph strode forward, wearing a smile, though he hated the sight of Cardassians. If you'd be so kind to follow me, sir. The Romulan senators said nothing as Rayon's eye roamed them all. Joseph gestured toward the door, but the legate simply looked at him and spoke to the Vulcan. Your hospitality has been noted, Captain. I will leave you with your guests. As he pushed himself from the wall, he walked towards the chief of security. He stopped by Commander James. Be sure to read your captain a story before you go to bed, won't you? He laughed and continued for the door. Come along, Mr. DeCollin. Let's leave these children to play. Savril glanced to the legate with a look that was as penetrating as it was brief. Inwardly, she marveled at the rough nature of his implication and wondered what he knew of her relationship to the commander. A second later, she dismissed his comment as a poor attempt at wit. Instead, he sounded sexist, a rare trait within the Federation. Joseph coughed slightly and looked at Eric. The commander's prismic eyes followed the Cardassian, even as he bit his tongue from asking DeCollin to escort the man to the brig until his status could be sorted out. That, or put him in an escape pod and let him fend for himself. If the Cardassian expected special treatment, or even time to speak with the captain, he was mistaken. In fact, his lack of respect had quickly earned him a place very low on the priority list. Mr. DeCollin, could you please swing by the brig on the way to the shuttle bay and give the legate a tour? I'm quite sure that he will cause himself to take up residency there before the completion of this mission. I think it might be best that he get a feel for it now. It would be a pleasure, sir. Catan and the Romulan child stood in the entrance to sickbay. 
Catan stared down, still as a granite sculpture. The child fidgeted at his side like a mouse in a room full of salots. The receptionist gave Catan's pad a brief glance. I think the doctor is available, Commander. Go on, I'll let her know you're on your way. Dr. Drett grimaced reflexively as Lorena informed her that Catan was headed to her office. She sniffed at the woman on her viewscreen. Great, what does he want? Her words trailed off when she noticed the gruff-looking operations chief standing in her doorway with a small boy at his side. The child's presence swiftly diminished Ryla's scowl. He was dirty and frail, and his brown eyes held a sadness that she rarely saw in children as young as he. By his grip on the commander, she could see that he trusted the Terran, but was uncertain of her. Ignoring the human for the moment, she addressed the child attached to Catan's pant leg. Hello there. She waited, but when the boy made no reply, she stood and looked up to meet his escort's dark gaze. Ryla Dredd was slender, but not at all tall a fact that was punctuated by Catan's intimidating stature looming in her small office. After a second, she managed a courteous though fleeting smile for him as well, then stepped around the desk, allowing her eye to drift over the Terran as she did so. "'I see you've managed to make it back in one piece and then some,' she said, nodding in the Romulan's direction. She stepped closer and knelt before the child. The dimples that were missing from the smile she forced for Catan emerged in her cheeks with the genuine smile she gave his ward— What's your name, little one? The Romulan stared back at her in wide-eyed silence. Ryla craned her neck to look up at Catan once again. Thank you for... for doing whatever it was that you did to enable the transporter locks. Your quick actions ensured our safe return. I thought I should acknowledge that. She witnessed his barely masked shock and briskly added a modifier. She was diminutive, yes, but there was nothing of frailty in her. Saying, thank you, Commander, shouldn't violate our unspoken pact of mutual disdain. Rest assured, we're still free to despise one another. Somehow, she managed to convey her cold remarks with a soft and charming warmth, if only for the child's benefit. Catan frowned and arched an eyebrow. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. The physician slowly rose from her crouch and offered a hand to the boy who accepted it after the briefest hesitation. Where are his parents? asked the Trill as she led the child by the hand to the floor and helped him onto a bio-bed. Catan shrugged. That's a good question. I was hoping one of our guests had asked about a missing child. I gather that hasn't happened. Ryla smirked. If that were the case, I wouldn't be asking where his parents are now, would I? Catan felt his face start to heat up, and numerous biting remarks struggled to escape his mouth. He quickly clamped his lips shut. Don't say anything. You'll only add fuel to the fire. Breathe. Count to ten. Huh. <laughs> More like ten thousand. He murmured under his breath. Ten thousand what? Ryla asked, throwing Catan a confused glance. Before he could reply, she turned away with a short, dismissive shake of the head. She moved to a nearby station and collected a medical tricorder from its well-ordered surface. When the doctor returned, she demonstrated how the device operated by passing it over herself. Initially, her little patient was startled by the bright lights and strange music emitted by the tricorder. It won't hurt you, see? She deactivated it by folding the gadget in half. The child raised his upswept brows in wonder as she opened it again, bringing the mysterious box to life once more. She offered the boy the wearing instrument. You try, the doctor said with an encouraging smile. He glanced up at Catan for approval and accepted the tricorder when the commander nodded a brisk approval. Ryla showed the boy how to scan himself, and managed to read its recordings as he did so. Physically, he's fairly healthy, 
but mentally, she sighed. I can't scan for psychological trauma, but it's obvious to me that he's suffering from it. I think he should see Counselor Margon. When Catan failed to reply, she turned her eyes towards him. He was still watching the boy with more concern than she had ever seen displayed on his battle-hardened face. He actually cared for the child. Now it was her turn to be surprised. He needs a guardian, she said in a softer tone. It's quite a responsibility, but I think you're more than capable. If you need any guidance or assistance, for the boy's sake, I would be happy to provide it. I have several centuries worth of experience. Well, Dret does, but I could share the responsibility if the challenge is too much for you. Catan startled both the doctor and child by bursting into a loud bout of deep, booming laughter. Eventually, he brought himself to gasping control. Too much of a challenge for me? Catan dabbed a bit of humor-induced moisture at the corner of his eye as he tried to catch his breath. Ah, he said, still grinning. I haven't been so amused in quite a while. He directed a sincere, albeit brief, smile at Dredd. Thank you, Doctor. I never expected you to have such a refined sense of humor. The ops officer straightened his stance, and then gave an adjusting tug to the hem of his uniform tunic. I've never encountered a challenge I'm unwilling to face, but I never thought of myself as the parenting type, either. He glanced at the doctor's small patient. However, the child should not be left unsupervised, and I suppose it is the duty of all warriors to train the next generation. He needs to be taught to take care of himself, and to make his mark in the universe. Katan gave a sigh. For the time being, I will take on the challenge. At least until someone more suitable comes along. He gave the doctor a measuring stare. And I accept your offer to share the responsibility. Katan turned away and directed a mumbled, barely audible statement to the doctor. Thank you. The captain was leaving her meeting with the Romulan senators when her comm badge chirped. Lieutenant Commander Zrem to Captain Servril. This is Servril. Go ahead, Mr. Zrem. Captain, I've been reviewing the files retrieved from the Romulan transport and detected a pattern that was missed in our initial scan of the data. Zrem said, sounding fatigued. Explain, Mr. Zrem. Zavril replied, feeling a bit fatigued herself. The entire fleet had been pushing themselves these past few weeks, and the captain would not hesitate to do the same. This was one of the things that Zrem had always respected about the Vulcan. Over the many years he had known her, she had never asked her subordinates to perform a task that she herself was not fully prepared to do. Jafras had a great deal of respect for that type of officer, and for that type of person. I was running the star charts through the subroutines that I have developed, and the data markers did not match up. It contained information that the program could not account for, which clearly indicated that these files were more than just simple navigational records. I'm still working on them, but this data appears to be encrypted personal logs. I am still sorting it out and running it through various translation filters. I hesitate to say more over an open comm channel, ma'am, he said, waiting for Savril to respond. Why would this data be hidden where it could easily be discovered? Star charts are not the best location for encrypted files. They are scanned too frequently, she thought to herself, as she had Eric enter a turbo lift. Please coordinate with Mr. DeCallan and keep me apprised of your findings. Understood, Captain. I will continue to give it top priority and will contact Lieutenant Commander DeCallan immediately. Zrem out. Savril had the utmost confidence in Shafra Zrem's skills and discretionary abilities. 
Aside from Eric, she had known him longer than any other member of her crew. His friendship with her family had developed over many years of shared postings. He had been stationed aboard Starbase 375 with Eric and Savril during the Dominion War and later aboard the USS Hercules. As the lift slowed and the doors parted, she recalled the traditional Andorian chiffrette pastry her daughter Arya had made for Zrem for his birthday, five years prior, aboard the Tiberius. Even though the dessert had fallen well short of the desired consistency and flavor, Zrem ate three large pieces and seemed very touched by her gesture. Zavril tapped her comm badge. Captain Zavril to Chief Doyen. Eric shook his head as a surprised voice answered her call. Doyen here, ma'am. He rarely had the opportunity to cook for the Vulcan, thanks to her husband who fancied himself a gourmet chef. Needless to say, Mr. Doyen was eager to actually put his talent to work. Are you familiar with the Andorian Chiffrette pastry? she inquired. Yes, ma'am. Shall I prepare a meal to accompany the dessert? Eric shook his head, indicating his plans to make their dinner. No, thank you, Mr. Doyen. The pastry is for Mr. Zrem. Once it's ready, please deliver it to his office. He'll be working late this evening. The voice that replied over the comms sounded discouraged, but willing to serve. Of course, Captain. Can I do anything else for you? Yes. Please top the pastry with rainbow sprinkles. It's non-traditional, but he is quite fond of them. Thank you, Mr. Doyen. Legate Ryan and Joseph de Cullen walked down the corridor in silence. Occasionally, Ryan would look out the corner of his eye towards the six-foot Australian. After a while, he could not contain himself. So, Lieutenant Commander, he smiled and looked directly at de Cullen. You do seem to have your mind on something else. What is it that is bothering you? Your job? Starfleet? Woman. Joseph flicked his eye at him, but remained silent. Ah! A woman, how typical of humans to be concentrated on copulating. He laughed slightly and looked ahead. The Carlin smiled. If you will come this way, sir. Joseph opened the door and walked in, and Ryan followed, and his eyes dipped slightly as he saw the various cells in front of him. Joseph put his hand on the Cardassian's shoulder. As you see, this is a fairly large room, available on all Starfleet vessels, self-contained wash basin, and of course, a stainless steel toilet. Sitting required, and an open view so all can see you drop your pants. Now look at my hand. If you insist on attempting to humour me with your reptile wit, I'll make sure you'll be spending the rest of your journey on show for all the happy children to point and throw peanuts at. Do I make myself clear? The regret straightened and stretched his neck, so pulling the leather uniform. It's uh, not really my kind of pad. If you'd be so kind as to show me to the, um, dorms in, um... Takaran looked at him as he pressed the button on the wall panel. Shuttle by to... This way. Sir. The door of the brig switched open and Leggett left the room a clot quicker than when he walked in. Takaran followed, smiling to himself. It didn't take them long to reach Shuttle Bay 2. Ryan had quickened his pace since seeing the brig. Joseph nodded to the two security guards and they opened the door. Enjoy your stay, Ryan. The Cardassian smiled as he walked in and the door closed immediately. Joseph looked at his men. Help anyone who needs assistance. Make sure you make them feel welcome, understand? You're not guarding them. You're the guides. Well, apart from any member of the Arabella tourist team, if Leggett Ryan wants to leave, you escort him. Only one of you mind, and you notify me or the XO. The two guards stood to attention. Sir! 
Joseph turned and headed towards a turbo lift when his combat chirped. Srem to the cannon, could I see you in my office, please? Stopping still, he took in a deep breath. <sighs> I'm a wild lieutenant commander. Do you mind if I grab a snack on the way? I've not eaten since we started the evac mission. Srem replied quickly. Sure, Joseph. See you ASAP. Entering the turbo lift, Joseph then wondered about food. <laughs> Replicator food, guess he will have to do. Then it is safe to assume Naval and Marin have been bathed as well as the dog. Yes, Mother. I have dried them off and returned them to our quarters, said Arya over the comm. Did you have fun? asked Eric. A smile spread across his face at the image formed by Arya's description. Yes, sir, came Arya's even reply. Good. Your mother and I will be off duty soon. We'll have our picnic then. Yes! Arya's response was in stark contrast to her previously unaffected tone. She was obviously looking forward to their trip to the holodeck. A sea of stretched stars were visible from the large windows of the captain's ready room as the Arabella raced towards her rendezvous with the rest of the fleet. It had been several hours since they safely detonated the derelict freighter and made their jump to warp. While many of the Romulan refugees were quartered in newly constructed cargo bay dormitories, Federation diplomatic protocol dictated that government officials should be provided with private guest and ambassador suites. This was a decision that could not be avoided, but it was also one that did not sit well with many of the refugees who felt the Senate was responsible for their current situation. Eric took another sip of his carbonated beverage and turned his full attention to the captain. It would be a few more hours before he could officially think of her as his wife again. I'm surprised you let Miss Jarek out of the brig, Eric said between sips of his cola. He was lounging in an overstuffed crimson chair with his feet propped up on the arm. In contrast to his casual bearing, Savril maintained a perfect posture from her place behind her high-gloss ebony desk. She flicked her eyes to the boots that were crossed and resting on the chair, and he moved them swiftly to the floor with a broadening grin. Given the possible results of Jurek's actions, he continued, I would suggest the counselor meet with her to determine the depth of her mental issues and how those problems may affect the ship's operations. The warm Vulcan spices that made up Savril's tea were pleasantly aromatic and rose with the steam to fill the small ready room. The space that surrounded them was practical, yet comfortable, its contents indicative of the captain's cultural heritage. A large painting, created by a long-dead Vulcan master, hung on the wall over the scarlet settee Eric claimed during their meeting. The work was an abstract representation of Mount Selea, a spiritually significant landmass that once existed on a homeworld she never knew. Resting on the floor near the large viewport, was the harp her father played for her as a child. Savril was not a gifted musician herself, and rarely plucked the strings, but its presence reminded her of the father she'd been seeking since the moment they crossed the neutral zone. Sokrell lived amongst the Romulans for many years as a diplomat, intent upon uniting the Vulcan people with their sundered kin. He had been in Romulan space during the Ultra Nova, and neither his wife nor his daughter had heard from him since that time. The captain sighed inwardly. The Romulans were not the only victims of the tragedy. She considered Commander James over her cup of tea. Though he was no yes-man, in the forty years they had served together he never once felt the need to challenge her decisions. The suggestion he made a moment before was a mixture of curiosity and duty, and she valued his advice even if she did not always put it into practice. I am no counselor, Commander. 
but I am quite certain that Nala Jarak is in fact mentally stable. She gazed into the cup she'd been turning absently in her hands, then lifted it to her lips and took a sip of the bittersweet beverage. The starlight that streaked before them reflected in the dark eyes that she now settled on the first officer. These people are under much duress. The Romulans aboard this ship survived a cataclysmic event, only to be attacked by their own military. Salt on open wounds, as the Terrans say. And given the history between the Empire and the Federation, it is understandable that Mr. Rock would suspect sinister intentions of our rescue team. She glanced to the pad once more, and read the line detailing her orders regarding Jarak, then returned her gaze to Eric. I have, however, requested that security monitor her activities should my logic in this matter be proven erroneous. She will not be free to roam this ship without an escort. Eric nodded his head in agreement. I can't find any objections to that. We're going to need to put a team together to start working on a replacement for the Presidio. Indeed. Lieutenant Commander Tolok will assist in the team's formation. Eric looked over one of the many pads before sliding it to the captain. Have the senators selected their spokesperson yet, or are they deferring to the Senate? From sickbay, Senator Ketlek has assumed the role of their representative, but many of his constituents blame the government for the dilemma they find themselves in now. A soft sigh escaped Eric's lips. I've notified the cook about a potential diplomatic dinner. Eric smiled to his wife. Chef Doyan would jump at the chance to cook something other than Zrem's pastries. What are we going to do about this legate? He seems quite full of himself, and I think he may be more of a problem than a help on this mission. She fell quiet a moment, pondering the alternatives. I don't trust him. Perhaps we will learn more once the High Command has finally returned our inquiries. But in the meantime, we should learn what we can from the Romulan senators. I have asked Mr. DeCollin to keep him under guard until we are certain who he is and why he believes he holds influence over our guests. And then there is the matter of the encrypted files Rem discovered in the download of the transport's database. It seems we have our work cut out for us this week, Eric replied. I think that resolves any pressing issues that can't wait until tomorrow. We've earned the right to be off a few hours, and I'm starving. Severell nodded as she stood and reordered the pads on her desk. Yes, but I'm not interested in revisiting the Klingon menu. The few vegetarian dishes the Klingon people prepare are suited only for cleaning plasma conduits. Eric grinned. Perhaps we can try Romulan on the picnic. Like the Klingons, they're meat eaters. We're going to have to find something that appeals to you to keep you from offending them during the dinner. I shall endeavor not to insult them, said Savril with the slightest hint of sarcasm. The Vulcan stopped at the door, waiting for her husband to haul himself out of the settee he'd been lounging in. If you sat in that chair in the manner with which it was designed to hold you, you would not have such difficulty. Eric rose and stretched, then took a deep breath and moved towards the exit with the captain. He offered her a crooked smile. And what would be the fun in that? If the designers had created it with actual comfort in mind, I would be far less prone to improvise. Savril suppressed the desire to snort at his remark, and instead arched a brow at him as they stepped onto the bridge and moved to the turbo lift. When they turned to face the doors, she added, You would improvise whether the chair was designed to your specifications or not, and that is perhaps one of the most enduring qualities you possess. Eric chuckled at the comment and briefly brought the tips of two fingers into contact with those of his wife's. The touch seemed to awaken their senses, 
bringing them sharpness and clarity that was more invigorating than any stimulant could provide. There was a reason why they limited their contact in public. It wasn't that the brushing of fingertips was inappropriate, but rather a display of affection they preferred to keep to themselves, for the simple contact carried with it a passion that, after more than 40 years, showed no signs of dimming. Tollock sat at the engineering duty station on the bridge and stared at the monitor before him. Although Alpha Shift had gone off duty a while ago, it had become his habit to spend time up here at the start of Beta Shift rotation to do some research or read reports or whatever extra work was required. The Beta Shift engineering officer liked to work with inside of the warp core, an attitude Tollock encouraged, leaving the bridge station available for such duties at this time. The lieutenant commander believed in maintaining a strict separation between his duty and off-duty activities, so avoided working in his quarters wherever possible. On his previous vessel, he had also found that the chief engineer's presence on the bridge did no harm to the relationship between his department and Battleshift command crew, and kept him abreast of current mission objectives and operational constraints. It wasn't regulation, certainly, but it was logical. Currently, the engineer was looking over the specifications of the Volga-class runabout in the expectation that the captain would wish to replace the craft sacrificed in the destruction of a Romulan cargo transport. While the Arabella was not a space dock facility, it was also not unheard of for vessels on deep space missions to replenish their own supply of small craft for such incidents. The advantage here was that they were not alone but part of a larger fleet, and thus had access to both resources and construction space that would not otherwise be available to them. The latter was particularly important now that one of the shuttle bays had been given over to serve as a refugee center. As the door to his quarters closed behind him, Lieutenant Galdar unfastened his tunic and headed across the living space to the bedroom and a change of clothes. His shift having been somewhat less eventful than he'd feared, he was surprised to find himself free to meet Ryla for the drink they'd arranged and was determined to take advantage of the sudden availability. With any luck, he'd beat her to the bar too. He grinned at the thought as he changed. Beating Dret to the bar had become a bit of a game with him over the years, largely because it was something he could normally manage without too many problems. Even when late himself, he was normally earlier than his friend. On countless occasions, he'd arrive first for a drink, a meal, or some other occasion by the smallest of margins, but he always managed to appear to have been there for hours when the Trill arrived, making a big play of it on each occasion. He still couldn't decide whether she'd worked this game out or not, but the fervency of some of her apologies tended to suggest that she was still in the dark over the whole thing. Still grinning, he headed back to the door, only changing direction at the last minute to enter the bathroom, splashing a couple of handfuls of water on his face and head. Must ask for some of that moisturizing cream, he muttered as he headed back out of the room. As Galdar trotted around the corner, he was confronted with the sight of Ensign Dalen, standing at ease outside a cabin door. Not an unusual position for a security officer, he supposed. It was still a surprise to him to see Shelby standing there. Slowing his pace a little, Galdar nodded to the ensign as he passed. Shelby, he stated in greeting. Turning her head upon hearing her name, Dadlin's gray orbs set upon the Frangie, and she looked at him evenly. Hello, Galdar. I thought you'd be off duty by now, too. The Ferengi asks, slowing to a stop and turning back to face her impassive Romulan features. The rescue mission was over while I was still on duty, and that was a while ago. No, I've pulled guard duty on one of our guests, she said. I was going to actually contact you tonight about our holodeck booking this week and tell you I was going to need to cancel. 
the pair had made a regular appointment out of Hollow Sweet Gaming together, doing a variety of things from epic battles to flying simulations. Those Galdor loved the best. Ah, no problem, the lieutenant replied. I pretty much rode off today the moment we contacted that ship. I'm sure guarding dignitaries is more interesting anyway. My guest isn't quite a dignitary, just someone who needs a friend more than anything else, the half-Romulan said with an ever-so-slight smile. Ha! Don't we all? Rule of acquisition, he broke off. Ah, never mind. Touché, my friend. Where are you headed right now? Afterburner. Long-standing drink engagement. Geldar hesitated. Still, I guess I have longer to enjoy it now. Enjoy. Raising a hand in farewell, the Ferengi moved off. Carry on, Ensign. He called over his shoulder as he headed for the turbo lift. The Orion Terran hostess stood before Ryla Drett, preparing the doctor's favorite drink, a yellow fever. It sounded more deadly than it actually was, but Syra Frederick thought it an appropriate beverage for the blonde physician. She was wearing her flaxen hair down, and from the look of her attire, Syra was fairly certain the trill was meeting a date, which was often the case for Ryla Drett. The doctor never came to the afterburner alone. The petite young woman watched as the first Romulan evacuees entered the establishment. Tell me, Syra, is it illegal to serve Romulan ale to Romulans? She asked as she accepted a high ball of vodka and lemonade from the hostess. The trill took an experimental sip and smiled at her approval. It would be a bit of a conundrum if that was so, but I'll see what I can do, Syra replied, winking at her friend. The Orion glanced to the side to see if Ryla's latest male companion would walk through the door, but no one seemed to be headed in that direction. Curiosity burned inside her, but she did not want to seem nosy. It's not so much that I need to be, she thought, but it's still a courtesy. As Syrah turned away, a diminutive orange form dashed around the corner, slowing to a casual saunter as it entered the lounge and looked around as if seeking someone. On seeing Ryla at the bar, the figure's face fell ever so slightly, then broadened into a very toothy grin. Oh well, thought the Ferengi, I can live with being beaten to drinks occasionally. Serves me right for stopping to talk with Shelby. Picking his way across the room, Galdar looked with interest at the higher than normal number of Vulcanoids. The presence of so many non-Starfleet personnel on the ship would make for an interesting dynamic in the social areas and the number of supposedly off-duty security personnel in the room testified to the fact that he wasn't the only person who thought so. As he neared the bar, he battled to remove the smile from his face, trying to assume a contrite expression. Rattler, I'm sorry I'm late. He started, but the speech tailed off pretty quickly as his facial control failed and the grin reasserted itself. Collapsing onto a low stool beside the trill, he shrugged mischievously. Oh, I'm sure you know how the speech goes. Ryla smiled at the Ferengi seated beside her. Please, when am I ever on time? Besides, I'm the one who owes you an apology. I sort of made a date. I hope you don't mind if he joins us. Really? Galdor exclaimed without thinking. Ah, I mean, okay, no problem. Anyone I know? The drink she lifted to her mouth paused before her lips touched the glass. She sat it down and gestured to the man standing be behind her friend. Galdar, this is Lieutenant Jared Olsen. Jared, this is Lieutenant Galdar. 
The shuttle pilot wore a nervous expression. Ah, I've, I've heard a lot about you, Galdar. I'm um, Mr. Galdar. He started to offer a hand to the Ferengi, but decided to wipe his palm on his tunic before doing so. He was a tall, brawny man with neatly combed black hair and bright blue eyes framed by long, dark lashes. Syra turned her attention to the new patrons and noted the slightly awkward situation the trio seemed to be in. She leaned over to the bar, her arms folded over each other, and greeted them with a pleasant smile. May I get you anything, gentlemen? Uh, a starduster for me, please, Galdar said, turning to Olsen. And... Jared nodded. Ah, cosmopolitan, please. Syra blinked a few times in astonishment and then turned to Ryla with a raised eyebrow. The trill didn't seem to notice. Her smile seemed fixed on Jared as she absently swished the ice around her glass. Okay then, Cyrus said at last. Coming right up. Galda used to pilot shuttles too, Ryla said in an attempt to strike up a conversation between the two. The taller man, who had taken a seat on the other side of Ryla, leaned over to gaze down the bar at Galdar. Used to, he managed to ask without stammering. Yes, Galdar leaned back against the bar. And sometimes I wish I still did. Sitting back and watching others fly into half-cloaked Romulan ships isn't the most impressive day's work I've done. Straightening, he looked at the lieutenant. After the Tiberius was lost, I was assigned to a starbase. Starbase shuttle services, well, I'm sure you know. Taking his drink, he raised it to his companions and took a, a long pull. Galdar is the Alpha Shift helmsman said Ryla with a note of pride. Jared simply nodded. Silence stretched between them before Ryla brought up another topic. Oh, guess who came into sickbay today with a child? Galda shook his head. Was he bigger than a breadbox? asked Syra, sarcasm dripping from her question. What's a breadbox? asked the trill before taking a sip of her bright yellow beverage. Okay, I'll retract that question with another. Does his name begin with a K and end with a tan? Ryla frowned. I think I'm going to refer to him as Mr. Kitten from this point forward, but yes, you guessed correctly. Galda snorted at the naming, a spray of stardust to strike in the bar. Cyrus smirked and took the opportunity to applaud herself for her efforts while Galda coughed and mopped his watering eyes. Ryla soon joined the Orion in her clapping, drawing the attention of a few of the Romulan patrons seated further down the bar. The trill gave the Jared Olsen a wink and a smile before turning to back to Syra. It wouldn't be very nice of me to speak unkindly of Mr. Kitten. He did a good thing saving that child and the rest of us, she added reluctantly. Cyrus smiled and then she remembered the tall man sitting next to Dr. Drett with his bright pink mixed drink. So, Ryla, how exactly do you know Mr. Jared here? The Trill regarded him with a smile. We bumped into each other, literally. I think he did it on purpose. The Terran blushed as he laughed. I... I could never do that. Sure, Ryla gently teased. I was coming out of sickbay a week ago, and he was coming in, and BAM! That's how we met. Jared smiled. I had an ingrown toenail that needed attention. His statement was followed with more awkward silence. Yes, well, um... Sarah wasn't quite sure how to finish her sentence. Jest? Sly insult? Admission to confusion? So, she chose to end her thought with two words. Those hurt. Yawning, Joseph left Rem's office. He was hungry, tired, and seriously needed to hit the sack.
Leaning against the wall, he closed his eyes for a moment. The count to Dan. Could you relieve Ensign Dalin from her position? Dunn replied in his usual quick, enthusiastic fashion. I'm away, sir. Undoing his tunic for the second time today, Joseph headed to his quarters. His mind buzzed with information. The Romulan ship, the injured, the senators, and Legitte Leanne. And now it was Rem's findings. He tapped his badge. Ensign Dalin. Dunn is on his way to relieve you. Please make your way to Lieutenant Commander Zrem's office. I want you to work with him. I think you'll find it interesting. Usual report to be handed in after your shift. Shelby sounded quite calm in a reply. Understood, sir. He listened to her voice and soaked in her tone. He smiled gently and headed to his quarters for a well-deserved sleep. The room suddenly shifted around Catan. One wall of his quarters seemed to trade places with the ceiling as his back crashed through the living room end table. Laying amid the shards of safety glass and bits of replicated wood, he stared up at the ceiling, growling as he tried to get his bearings. Adrenaline quickly washed away his brief moment of disorientation. His assailant looked down at him with a self-satisfied smirk, a smirk Catan tried to wipe away with a swift sweep of his left leg, followed by a matching sweep of the right. His assailant effortlessly hopped over each swipe, then danced back out of the ops officer's range. As his attacker grabbed the batleth hanging on the wall, Catan gathered himself to spring up. His lunge was cut short by the razor-sharp point of the batleth suddenly pressed against his throat. Do you yield? His opponent panted. The question was punctuated by a slight increase in the pressure against his throat. Catan froze as he felt a warm, wet trickle trickling its way down his neck. Damn it, yes, I yield! He shouted. The batleth was tossed away with a laugh, clattering against the far wall. His assailant then dropped down onto him, legs straddling his torso. As the victor leaned into him, Catan inhaled against the pressing weight, drawing in a heady combination of sweat and fragrant sandalwood. Catan's eyes flicked down, and a guilty smile played across his lips as he glimpsed his opponent's cleavage straining against her tunic. Rose-colored lips drew close to his ear, and a warm, tickling breath sent shivers through him as she whispered, Are you as turned on as I am? A sudden movement in the background caught the woman's attention. Her eyes swung up, then widened in surprise. Um... What the hell? Catan followed her gaze and gave a mirthless chuckle. Peeking around the entrance to the darkened sleeping quarters was a small, pointy-eared child. Ah, yes. As Catan sat up, the woman scrambled off him. Then she stood and adjusted her clothing. I guess we woke him up, Catan said. He gestured towards the child with a flourish. Tara, please meet... He paused, at a loss for words. Please meet my guest... Tara gave an uncertain smile and waved at the child. Hello, little guy. How are you? The child answered by ducking back into the room. Well, he certainly is a talkative one, isn't he? She said. Catan moved next to Tara, draping an arm over her shoulder. I was planning on telling you about him, but you greeted me so enthusiastically I didn't have time to. He appears to be an orphan. I found him on the Romulan wreck. Catan turned to pick up his batleth and hung it back on the wall. Come on, let's head to the afterburner. You two can get to know each other, and I can tell you all about it over dinner. Orin quietly rose and moved to the command chair of the small automated scout vessel. A gift from the Empress, the Sword of Satask had been designed and constructed on the Imperial equivalent of the vault. Along with the ship, Orin was given very specific orders. He was to meet with the Federation fleet and serve as the liaison of the Imperial State. It was the last time he had heard from the Empress, and the orders were not easy to follow. The advanced systems of the scout ship had detected cloaked vessels in pursuit of his destination. They presented him with two options. 
reveal himself to the ship he followed, or continue to track the cloaked ships until they reveal their intentions. Orin opted for the second option. He would hunt the hunter. Computer. The blue-eyed Romulan spoke from the command chair. Continue pursuit course. Confirmed. The seductive female voice replied. Also, replicate a grass of Chulin Ale, vintage 2367, and begin the Ballad of Satask. Orin said as he pulled the shoulder-length hair from his face and placed the air in strands behind his ears. Soft music began to fill the small ship as the glass containing the emerald Romulan ale appeared on his armrest. The former commander of Imperial Romulan State Security took a slow sip of the beverage and rolled the heady liquid in his mouth. Empress Dantara knew exactly what she was doing when she gave him the small vessel. It was crafted for comfort over what could be weeks of silent operations. Automated systems made any crew redundant, but she held opulent quarters for two officers and bunks for half a dozen crew. She was still a small vessel, one designed to dock and be launched from the shuttle bay of any larger Romulan ship. While her size was similar to the Federation scout ship, her lines gave her the look of a bladed weapon that could be wielded by the gods. Oren leaned back in his chair and sipped his drink. Continue pursuit course. Oren's mind drifted back to the item the Empress had left him with at the behest of his benefactor. In her wisdom, the Empress managed to smuggle the honor of the people off the planet before its destruction. For reasons beyond his understanding, Oren had been tasked to carry that honor with him until the people could be restored. It was an honor that weighed on him and his humble upbringing, but one that he could not refuse. Oren rose with drink in hand and paced the cockpit of the shuttle. Despite the comfort in the hollow suite, it was a lonely existence aboard the small ship. Hopefully, the isolation would soon be over. The day was getting long. Herm had begun his duties early this morning as usual, but the stress and excitement of finding the Romulans and rescuing them had given him an adrenaline rush that was now wearing off. Still, the archaeology and anthropology officer was having the time of his life. This is what he loved meeting new people, learning about them. However, the feeling was not mutual. Hello, I am Ensign Herreralto. May I have your name and family relation, please? <laughs> replied the particularly grumpy Elder Romulan. Herm knew that, like Vulcans, Romulans were very long-lived. A Romulan senior citizen was probably several centuries older than he ever hoped to be. I'm sorry, sir. I know this is difficult for you. I don't mean to disturb you, but I do need your name for our records. Then I will leave you alone. The elderly Romulan looked up, examining the young Ryzen from head to toe. There was something calculating, but not unkind, in the way the old man sized him up. You are Ryzen, aren't you? he finally asked. Why are you here in Romulan space with these Starfleet, instead of on your homeworld making love to fat tourist women? And what happened to your hair? The question surprised the young ensign. Not that it was about his homeworld, as the birthmark on his forehead was unique to his race and well known throughout the galaxy. No, it was the crudeness of it coming from someone who seemed so... stately. Herm smiled disarmingly at the old man. It's a long story, sir, and to tell you about my hair would take even longer. Let's just say I lost my... appetite for overfed females. Suddenly there was a strange sound in the room. It started low, almost blending into the background. At first Herm thought it was something wrong with the ventilation system, but then it grew louder, a choppy, wheezing sound. The ensign realized the elder Romulan was laughing. Laughing so hard he couldn't catch his breath. Then, with a great gasping sound, the man took a huge breath. Then the laughter burst from him like a geyser, filling the entire shuttle bay with the contagious sound. Herm didn't know what he was laughing about, 
but he couldn't help chuckle along. After several long minutes, the old man wiped tears away from his eyes. Have a seat, Starfleet. This last he said with kindness, instead of as an insult as he had before. I am Sutpak Choro. Sit and keep an old man company. Watching Galdar leave, Shelby glanced back at the door where Nala was. It wasn't that Dalen wanted to go out and party. She wasn't that interested in such social meanderings. It was more that she wanted to investigate more of the information on Nala's father. Maybe through finding out about the situation, she could prove to the Romulan woman that she was honorable and could even be a friend to her if she let her. Nala remained seated in the chair as she continued to gaze out the small window. She found a small sense of calm and peace looking out toward the stars and she welcomed the respite. She knew the Vulcan captain would be interviewing all the survivors, including the corrupt senators. She hoped the woman would see through their lies and deceits. Her thoughts drifted to the half-Romulan ensign who had bested her, a grudging sense of respect. She seemed to know a great deal about Nala, but why should she care about the daughter of a traitor? Shelby focused herself on the day's events. What was next for them? All these people would need a place to go. They couldn't stay on the ship. What was the captain going to do to prove her good faith to the brunt of these people would be interesting to say the least. There was an old human proverb. You can please some of the people some of the time. You can't please all of the people most of the time. She wasn't sure if she was recalling it right, but she knew it was something like that, which brought a half grin to her expression. And as quickly as it was there, it was gone again. Before she could let her thoughts drift to composing her report on the day's events, Dalen's comm badge went off. It was to Callan. He was sending Dunn in to relieve her, and he wanted her to report to the science officer, Mr. Zerim, as soon as possible. Shortly after receiving the message, Dunn rounded the corner, and after Shelby gave him a short report on the situation, the ensign departed for the science labs. Nala stood and moved towards the door. She felt conflicted. For some reason, she felt a degree of empathy with the ensign. Perhaps they had more in common than she realized. Friends had never been part of Nala's life. Acquaintances, mostly along with the occasional lover when she felt the needs, but never anything of meaning. She lived on the outside of a closed society. A society that was no more. Things change. So that's going to do it for this week. I know Season 10 is coming to an end. Um, We still are behind of the actual writing. I think they're on like post 160, 170. So they're probably a few weeks ahead of us. And uh, they will be starting Season 11 pretty soon. And we will finish up with Season 10. And maybe we'll do a whole recap show on what has gone on. So I just want to thank all of the writers. It's fantastic. Uh, I want to thank all the readers. 
Uh, obviously, we can't do the Ready Room podcast without our wonderful readers. So I think that's going to do it. So this is Kenny. Hailing frequencies closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out www.takehimwithyou.com the weekly podcast that's spiritual not religious I'd love to have you listen thanks (laughs) no I don't think he likes you at all (laughs) no I don't like you either (laughs) I love that that is so great that's good writing yes because it's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the <coughs> dialogue. I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Hello there. I'd be honoured if you could take a few minutes to check out my little show, Appy Times. If you own an iPod, Touch, or an iPhone, if you love applications but are feeling the pinch of the current economic climate, then this is the podcast for you. Each week I'll review a free or cheap application and spend a few minutes gassing on about why I like it. Or not. Buying apps over the air can be both addictive and expensive, so why not spend a few minutes a week listening to Appy Times? and I'll try to separate the wheat from the chaff. Just go to appytimes.podbean.com or search the iTunes store for Appy Times. That's A-P-P-Y-T-I-M-E-S. Come and share the Appy Times with me. Hello there, my name is Med. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. All right, I mean, this is Mark. And we are the present... Mark? All right, get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle on Podcast, and we like to talk about... Crap. TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? Some of it. Really? <laughs> Especially the British stuff. But we're going to a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. Do not smile when I say the word colon. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't you turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. 
Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of season two, as well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.com. Zaboo! Zaboo!